You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Daniel Quinby. For more information on other LifePoint Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. So this morning I have the privilege of introducing a friend to you. Pastor Daniel Quimby is the pastor at uh, UNI Chi Alpha campus ministry there, Cedar Falls. And as we've been working through this series, The Kingdom of Heaven, based on the book of Matthew, you know, I was pr- praying and preparing for this series. He came to my mind because the culture and the community that he's been creating up at UNI is so in line, in alignment with what we're contending for here in Ames at LifePoint. And so I, I couldn't hold back in inviting him. He, he spoke with us uh, 2017 last summer, and so I asked if he'd come back and share with us again. He's going to speak into the context of this series. So this isn't some standalone, like turn your brains off and, and coast through this Sunday morning. This is right in context with what God's been speaking to our hearts uh, in this series, The Kingdom of Heaven, through the book of Matthew. So prepare yourselves and give it up for Pastor Daniel Quimby. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. Oh, we're good. So I got to tell you guys, I love this church. Like, I'm not just saying that. Like, I know that's what you're supposed to say when you speak somewhere, but I really love this church. Uh, you know, I love your leadership. I love the culture here, just how the, how the Holy Spirit moves here in such a powerful way. Like, I always sense his presence. And uh, to be honest, last year we came and we spoke. It was on August 5th, I believe. And I remember that day because it was a really important day for us. Uh, you know, God really spoke to us through the service. So Emily and I were in a season of, you know, praying for children because we were, you know, trying to get pregnant for like a year and, and weren't having any success. And before I came and spoke here, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, hey, you need to preach about my ability to do the impossible. So I said, all right. So I prepared a message called the God of Power. I talked about how God could do the impossible. I did not say anything about our situation, uh, but I talked about how God can do the impossible on our campus. And then Joe came up here during the transition. I don't think I've told him this yet, but he came up here and he shared a, a verse from Romans 4 that said that uh, God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And I knew that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me through Joe. I'm like, all right, I'm getting wrecked right before I'm supposed to preach. And two weeks later, we found out we were pregnant. So God did something. It was amazing. Yeah, so good. It's such a powerful time. Um, so actually, we found out like two hours before our first Kyle for service of the year that she was pregnant. We were excited. Uh, but then a week later, we lost the baby, so it's, it's sad, but, but God has been writing a story, because then just six months after that, we got pregnant again, or five months, something like that, and now we're 25 weeks along with another baby, and everything's going really well, so let's give God praise for that. Um, so, new, or so needless to say, this last year, the Holy Spirit has just been working on my heart, walking through this journey, but I know that He is a God of power, and that He's the God who does the impossible. Uh, and I've just seen that this last year. So as uh, Pastor Drew asked us, or asked me to speak about the kingdom of heaven this morning, I couldn't help but think back to this story, first of all, because it happened here, but also because uh, the kingdom of heaven, you know, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, and although it starts small, you know, the kingdom of heaven, when Jesus came and began to preach, he said, you know, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was just a dream at that point. It was just a small dream. Yeah. And, uh, and God grew the kingdom to, like, now we're here in Ames, Iowa, it started in Jerusalem, and now we're here in Ames, Iowa, talking about Jesus. And, 
And it's the same situation with the baby journey. You know, it's just a small dream we had to have a child, and now I've been uh, just able to see the baby develop and grow. And, and everything starts small. Every dream starts small. But if God's in it, if you invite God to be a part of your story, if you give him your dreams and the desires of your heart, you never know where he might take that dream. So I want to speak to that this morning, this idea that every kingdom work uh, starts small, like every kingdom work. Every time you plant a gospel community in a com- or in a community or a city, it starts small. It's typically just a few people, but then if God is in it, if we commit to doing ministry the way that Jesus did it, then God can grow that into um, a large and expansive kingdom work. So we're going to look at Matthew 13, if you want to just grab your Bibles and turn there with me, verses 31 and 32. And I know you've been in the Gospel of Matthew for a few weeks now, and you probably looked at some parables, I think you have, and, and parables are just these stories that Jesus tells to convey a spiritual truth or a lesson. In Matthew 13, verse 31 and 32, Jesus tells the parable of the mustard seed. And in this small parable, it's easy for me when I'm reading my Bible, you know, when I come to this parable, just to kind of skim by it, because it's so short, but there is so much truth packed in this parable. So I'm going to read this, and then we'll talk about it for a few minutes. Verse 31 and 32, it says, He told them another parable, that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, and those the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of, of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. All right, let's pray over this, and then we'll jump into it. God, I just pray this morning that you'd have your way. You've already been having your way in this service. You've been speaking to us. God, I pray that we could just continue that, just continue to hear from heaven and hear your voice. So God, I pray that if there's any distractions right now, that you just kind of remove those from our heart. God, and, um, I know there's so many things we can be thinking about, you know, so many things to be uh, distracted with, but I pray just for the next 25 minutes or so that you would just help us to zero in on you and hear what you have to say. So God, we love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the main idea today is this, if you're taking notes, is the kingdom has small beginnings, but its growth will be unstoppable if we love people and make disciples. If we love people and make disciples, that's what I'm going to talk about. So this is a powerful parable, and it's easy to miss its power. It's easy to miss this parable. And in my study leading up to this morning, I read one theologian who said that this parable could be the most personal parable that Jesus told. And the reason for that is he's speaking to his disciples, and Jesus is telling them, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's, you know, casting this big vision. The disciples are following him. But to be honest, although he's healing people, he's casting out demons, cool things are happening, the kingdom is not the kingdom's not actually growing that quickly. It's not like they have just thousands and thousands of people following them. It's really just like 12 people and a few others that are following Jesus. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is here. There's this big dream, but it, or day by day, uh, the opposition to Jesus is growing. And his time is growing short. And the disciples have to be thinking, is this guy crazy? Is this guy out of his mind? This guy is saying the kingdom of heaven's at hand, repent and we're supposed to take this message to the ends of the earth, but it's just a few of us still. So they're probably discouraged, but Jesus tells them that just as a mustard seed, it just starts small, or just as that can grow into a 12-foot-tall plant, the kingdom starts small. It's just a dream. It's just an idea, but then it can grow into a large tree, so to speak. And, and Jesus doesn't only say that, but he says that it will grow or so strong and large that the birds will be able to, or to perch up in its branches. And when Jesus says that, he's actually pointing to some Old Testament prophecies in Ezekiel and Daniel where uh, the birds sitting in a tree represent the nations of the world. So it's this idea that the kingdom's going to grow and it's going to encompass people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
And if I'm a disciple, I'm thinking, this guy is crazy. There's no way that this is going to grow. Another thing is, too, just to give you some context, like Jesus isn't the only one at this time that's saying things like this. Like there's other Messianic figures that have uh, come out of Israel at this time saying, hey, I'm the Messiah. But all these people were typically, they typically die, and then their uh, followers would scatter, and, and the whole movement would die. So these disciples had to, they had to be wondering, is this actually going to grow into this big tree? And Jesus is saying it will. So when I think about this idea of something starting small and growing into a big tree or, or, uh, or this uh, you know, big vision growing, I think of Chi Alpha in our state. You know, in 2010, there was no Chi Alpha on any campuses in our state. There was none. We were actually one of the only states in the entire nation that didn't have Chi Alphas. Uh, but a guy named Jonathan got a dream that God wanted to do a work on our campuses in our state. And he started at UNI. It was just him at UNI. And he drove up actually from Des Moines every week. Crazy guy. You'd have to meet him. He's just crazy. High capacity. But he drives up every week and tries to start at Chi Alpha there. He starts one at Iowa Central Community College. He calls Drew, and Drew comes here and starts at Iowa State. And then Tony Meyer starts at the University of Iowa. And something began to happen, or something began to grow. It started as just a dream, but now we're on eight different campuses, and there's hundreds of students a part of Chi Alpha. There's been hundreds of students who have come to know Jesus. But the thing is, if this guy, who is crazy enough to believe that God could do what he says he will do, if this guy did not believe God and take him at his word, then we wouldn't be here today. I probably wouldn't be here speaking, because I'm a product of Jonathan's ministry. But it starts with someone who's willing to say that God can take a dream, or God can take something as small as a mustard seed and grow it into something strong and beautiful. And I just believe uh, this morning that God's calling some of us to, or to take a dream that's as small as a mustard seed and follow him and obey him and see what he might do with that dream. Yeah, so I share this story to say that every kingdom movement starts small, and there's no avoiding that. But if we commit to doing ministry the way that Jesus did ministry, then we can uh, or trust God and know that he'll be faithful to expand the work. But the question remains, okay, so I keep saying if we do, if we do ministry the way that Jesus did it. So the question remains, how did Jesus do ministry? What was his strategy of ministry? And really there's two ideas to this, love people and make disciples. So I want to kind of take these in turn. So the first point today is this, or Jesus loved people and he never passed up an opportunity to show compassion. So in Matthew 22, you've probably heard this if you've been in church, or, or Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul. And then he says there's a second great commandment, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. So this phrase, love God, love people, that's where that originated from. It's fun to hear that phrase, it's fun to say, but it's actually difficult to do it. It's difficult to love people or for a number of reasons. You know, we have to live with them. Uh, they can irritate us, they can be annoying, they can talk bad about us, they can hurt us, they can inconvenience us, they can cut us off in traffic. It's difficult to love people because we have to live with them. But uh, despite this difficulty of loving people, we must never forget that people are the heart of God. They're at the center of God's heart. God loves people. Just as, or just as we dedicated the baby this morning, God loves her. God loves people. God loves you. People at the heart of Jesus' message. And, and Jesus modeled this well. Like Jesus always stopped for the one. He always stopped to, or to meet needs and show compassion. And Matthew 9 is a great example of this. Matthew 9, verse 35 through 38, says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And this is the verse I really want you to get right here. It says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus is going throughout the cities and the villages. He's teaching people. He's proclaiming the good news. He's healing people. But then when he saw the crowds, he wasn't inconvenienced or annoyed. He wasn't frustrated, but instead he was moved with this supernatural compassion. So let's apply this today, all right? So you're scrolling your news feed on Facebook. Someone posts something that you don't like, and that happens. I, you know, sometimes I see stuff I don't like. It's tempting to be angry and say, oh, they're so dumb. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. They're dumb. <laughs> but, but Jesus would say, there's like sheep without a shepherd. They don't know any better. They're not my opponent. They're not my ideological opponent. They're not my enemy. But they're just like sheep without a shepherd. They don't know any better. I love the heart of Jesus. I love the heart of Jesus. He always tries to understand people and see where they're coming from and see that they truly are just like people that don't know any better. They're just like animals that don't know any better. That's what we're like as humans. And Jesus looks at us with supernatural compassion. And then Jesus saw, he says this, he says, the harvest is plentiful. He says, there's so many people in the crowds that could become my disciples. There's so many people there that could follow me if they were just given an opportunity. But then he says, pray for, or pray for more laborers to be raised up. Because Jesus knew you can't make disciples with this philosophy of just preaching to the crowds and just you know, developing programs for the crowds to come to. But instead, you have to send laborers into the harvest to actually make disciples. It takes time takes time. As much as we want to come up with some big strategy to reach everyone all at once, it's not going to happen. It has to be people by people, person by person, someone investing into someone else, pouring into them, and then they send them out to invest in someone else. So Jesus wanted them to be reached, but he knew before they could be reached, he had to raise up laborers. He had to raise up laborers. You can't just reach the crowds all at once. You have to raise up laborers to go out into the harvest. You have to raise up these laborers. So that leads me to my second idea, and this is what I really want to kind of hone in on this morning. Although Jesus loved all people, and he met needs, and he took opportunities to heal people and show compassion, he spent most of his time, uh, the majority of his time, investing into a few people because he knew that the way to reach the world is discipling people who will disciple people. In other words, although Jesus showed compassion to the world, his primary concern was discipleship. And you may be wondering, what is discipleship? Or what does that mean? And we see this laid out for us in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus says this right before he leaves earth. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So this is discipleship. It's, it's teaching people to observe all that Jesus commanded us to do. It's this process of making little Jesuses, right? We want to have little Jesuses run around Ames, Iowa. That's the process. Or this is discipleship, making little students of Jesus. We're training people to become like Jesus. We're not just trying to get people to pray a sinner's prayer. We're not. Sinner's prayer, there's nothing wrong with it. But that's not our focus. We're not just saying, hey, let's give out as many get-out-of-hell-free cards as possible. That's not the purpose of Jesus. Jesus did not come just to get us into heaven. Jesus came to bring heaven to earth. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of heaven here. The kingdom of heaven was breaking in. We see this in the gospel. It wasn't, hey, pray this prayer so you can come to heaven with me when you die. It was instead, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. It's here. Now join the kingdom. 
That's what we're inviting people into. We're not inviting people to pray a prayer so they can cleanse their conscience. We're inviting people to be kingdom warriors, kingdom laborers on this world. That's what we're inviting people into. So with this in mind, with you know, Jesus' focus in mind of raising up disciples, it's, it's very interesting to observe how he spent his time. So in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, it shows us that he spent most of his time with 12 people. It says this, that Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him, or called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So in today's culture of bigger is better, let's get rich quick, Jesus' strategy of spending the majority of his time with just 12 men seems crazy, seems ludicrous. You want to reach the world and you're going to spend your time with 12 people? You are crazy. And these people were not that special. They were pretty uneducated, pretty rough around the edges. Have you seen Peter interact in the Gospels? That guy was crazy. <laughs> these people were not like the cream of the crop. But Jesus chose to spend his time with these 12 people because he knew that the way to reach the world was not to try to do something as quick as possible, but instead by raising up people who could raise up people. He knew that if he could do that, if he could raise up leaders, then he could change the world. Dr. Robert E. Coleman in the Master Plan of Evangelism says it this way. He says, his concern was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but instead with men whom the multitudes would follow. Mm, I think we could just sit on that quote all day. His concern was with men whom the multitudes would follow. So in Chi Alpha, we're not focused on trying to draw as many students as quick as possible, but instead on raising up kingdom leaders. I'm believing for this. I, or just the other day, we were in Boone, and I know that's a very unchurched town. I'm just thinking, like, 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 this town needs a gospel work here. It does. I'm believing that Chi Alpha and Life Point Church could be a part of raising up people who could go to that community and start a gospel work there, be people who are worth following. Instead of just trying to draw crowds here or draw crowds to our Chi Alpha, but instead raising up men and women to send out into communities to bring the gospel there, to send out labors into these ripe harvest fields. So let's illustrate this idea of raising up disciples by comparing two strategies of ministry. So there's two ways you can do it. So one strategy is this. You have a super dynamic leader, super evangelist, an incredible speaker, an anointed man or woman of God that is just reaching people by the day, reaching a thousand people per day. So that's incredible, right? But then there's another way to do it. You have someone who's faithfully raising up five people per year, but he doesn't just raise them up. He also teaches them how to go raise up five people per year, okay? So in year one, if we do the strategy, we compare these, you know, the super evangelist or the, dy the, the dynamic leader, he would reach 365,000 people in a year. That's incredible. And the faithful discipler reaches five, okay? So there's no comparison there. But then by year five, it, it gets a little bit closer, not really, but uh, the dynamic leader reaches 1,825,000, the faithful disciple reaches 3,750, because each person's raising up five people who raise up five people who raise up five people. But then in year 10, we start to see the change happen. If the dynamic leader continues reaching 365,000 people per year, but, or but does not teach them to go and reach other people, but the faithful discipler continues to raise up five people who can reach five people, then the difference is this. There'll be 3,650,000 people reached by the super evangelist or dynamic leader, but then the faithful disciple will have reached or, or 11,718,750 people. Wow. He started with just five, but he taught them how to actually be students of Jesus, how to be people who multiply themselves. And over 10 years, uh, the difference happens. And, that, and the question is, what are we living for? Are we living for now or 10 years from now? I'm trying to live for 10 years from now. 
Like, I want to have a long-term impact in the state. Like, I want to reach every community in the state. And I know that the way to do that is not just getting people to come to a service, but instead is raising people up who can go and raise up other people. And this shows us the difference between addition and multiplication. If we're focused on simply adding people each year through church programs and drawing a crowd without training them to go out and disciple people, our impact will be smaller than if we invest our time into a few who can go out and raise up other people. This is the law of multiplication. And this is how Jesus planned to reach the world. And that's why he called 12 people, and even more so three, because he spent more time with Peter, James, and John, to come and be with them so he might send them out to preach and cast out demons. Because he knew that that was the way to have a long-term impact and to get the gospel to Ames, Iowa. Because he was thinking about Ames when he started the kingdom work in Jerusalem. He was thinking about it. He's like, i got to get to Ames. But the way I do that is first got to raise the people who can raise the people who can raise the people. So with this said, how do we find these people to disciple? It sounds great. Like, yeah, we got to train people. But how do we find the right people to disciple? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. And this is how you do it. The first thing you do is you love people, right? So you start like Jesus did. You have compassion. You're looking. You're not just going to the grocery store or going to work, just trying to get your job done. That's me sometimes. Like, I'm a little introvert. Sometimes I just want to get stuff done. But instead, you're kind of looking around. You're seeing, okay, who, or who is God highlighting to me? And then when you have an opportunity, show compassion to people, love them, meet their needs. And then if these people then want to follow Jesus, if you're able to lead them to Jesus and they're hungry and they're faithful and they're ready to learn, then you take them under your wing. You just put them right under your wing, right there. And you just roll around with them. You just hang out with them. You're just like, hey, come with me. Let's go get coffee together. Let's go hang out. They're coming to my house for dinner. Come hang out with my family. You invite them into your life and you be with them. And that's the thing. There's no perfect strategy on how to disciple people. So Jesus did not give us a curriculum. There's not like 12 classes towards discipleship. Take these and you're good forever. Instead, it's be with them and send them out to preach. Give them authority to cast out demons. It's be with them. So you spend time with people and you give your life to them. And that's so hard in our society. Sorry, because we're so independent. We don't need other people. We don't want to spend time with people. Like, or when we get home from work, we run inside so we don't have to talk to our neighbor. I've been there before. I'm just like, I want to get inside. I don't want to have a conversation right now. But instead, Jesus invites us to spend time with people, or spend time with people and raise them up. And that also applies to joining a small group Bible study and having a small group of people that you meet with. So this is how we do it. We love people. And then when people want to grow, people want to be part of the kingdom, you say, I'm going to take you under my wing until you're ready to take some under your wing. It's this idea where we're pouring into someone, someone's pouring into us, and it just continues. It continues to develop and grow. So we have to remember this morning that the only way we can reach the harvest is if we're faithful in raising up laborers. That's why Jesus prayed for laborers. He knew that the harvest could only be reached if we raise up laborers. But we have to get back to the business of raising up laborers. We can't keep following the business models of this world that say, let's get it as big as possible, as quick as possible. Instead, we have to, or to grind it out day by day, spend time with a few, teach them how to follow Jesus, and then send them out to go and spend time with people and raise up other disciples. So 22 years ago, a pastor's wife who happened to work as a secretary in a doctor's office as well, she modeled this really well. So she worked in this office, and, and one of her patients was a young 20-something who was really rough around the edges. Her whole family had been in prison you know, she partied a lot, was at the bars all the time, had five kids, was only in her early 20s, just really rough around the edges. And to be honest, like this a secretary pastor's wife, like that girl kind of scared her a little bit. She didn't really want to hang out with her. And she was a little annoying. She was always late for her appointments. But she said, hey, I'm going to love this person because, you know, Jesus loves this person. 
And that person, that patient had never been in church or anything like that, but she chose to just, you know, faithfully love that person. And about a year after they met, uh, this woman, this patient, got in a car accident. She broke her neck. She was uh, drinking and driving. So got to this place, hanging between life and death. Had to have a halo put in. I don't know if you've seen halos before. They, like, drill bolts in your head. And she was in the hospital, and, and the secretary said, hey, I'm going to go into the hospital. I'm going to talk to her. And mind you, like, like, this woman's family, her whole family had been in prison for the most part, and they're all there at the hospital. So she walks into the, or into the hospital room. She just walks up to the lady, walks by her, her bedside, and says, I'm just here to tell you that God saved you for a reason, and you have to figure out why that is. Can I pray with you? Prays with her. The whole family's sitting there. They're like, what is going on? She walks out. <laughs> all right? And a few weeks later, finds out that this woman needs someone to watch her children because she can't watch her children with the halo on. So the secretary or volunteers uh, to watch her children, spends time with her children. A few months later, uh, the lady gives her life to Jesus. Her husband follows suit. Her, her whole family follows suit after that. And that patient was my mother. All my uncles, my, my grandpa was in prison the whole time that he was alive that I can remember. Come from a really rough family, but, but someone decided that she was worth loving. Although she was really difficult, someone decided that she was worth loving. She was worth having compassion upon. And then when that woman was ready to follow Jesus, she said, I'm going to take her under my wing. She didn't just say, let's pray a prayer, send you off. No, she took her under her wing. She raised her up. And this woman and her husband never had a big ministry. Churches were always about under 60 people. Like They never had like, like any crazy thing you hear about in the Christian news, the kind of stuff pastors look at. Like, what's the big church? You know, Nothing like that. And they're not even in ministry anymore. They're just... Uh, retired, you know, they, they ended up working as a, as a guy to railroad, you know, like, like, like it wasn't ministry that long. But every student who comes to know Jesus at the University of Northern Iowa, and it's uh, been over 100 now, can be traced back to that woman who said, I'm going to be faithful with the person that's in front of me. I think so many times we get so discouraged when it comes to evangelism, we get so discouraged when it comes uh, to reaching our community because it's just this big task in front of us. It's this big task, but if we can be faithful, if every person in this room can be faithful with the people that God has placed in front of them, if you can be faithful with the few that God's given you, I'm telling you, you can reach this community. I believe it. And not only this community, it's not just about Ainsworth, it's about every community in Iowa, it's about the United States, it's about the world. You can reach the world if you're faithful with what's in front of you, but so many people have just said, hey, the pastor's in charge of drawing a crowd, I'm just going to hang out. But we need to raise up some laborers in this place this morning. I'm just believing that. I believe that there needs to be laborers that go into your mission field, whether that's your job or school or wherever, and you say, I'm going to be faithful with whoever God places in front of me. So with that said, the main idea again today is this. The kingdom has small beginnings, but its growth will be unstoppable if we love people and make disciples. If you can do those two things that seem so simple, if you can do those two things, if you can love people that God placed in front of you and make disciples when people present themselves as someone who wants to be discipled, if you can do that, the kingdom will expand. The kingdom will grow. I firmly, firmly, firmly believe this. I'm not just saying this to get you excited, but I firmly believe that the best days of the church are yet to come. I really, really believe that Jesus has another great revival planned before he returns. I believe that. I'm not just holding out saying, Jesus, come back now. I want to get out of here. No, I think there's a world to reach. There are billions of people yet to come into the kingdom. There are billions of people who need to be told, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I believe that Jesus wants to do a great work in these last days. I believe that. I believe that God has, uh, specifically, because I just feel so called to this state, but I believe that God has a big plan for our state. I believe that God is going to help us. You know, Kyle, for missionaries, anyone else who wants to be involved, 
uh, to reach our college campuses in our state. I just believe that. I believe God wants to help us to reach unreached communities in our state. And when I consider this, I consider what God wants to do because I believe he wants to do a lot. When I consider this, I can get overwhelmed at times. I can think, God, what are you doing? Like, why am I having a, a greater impact right now? Why isn't there someone for Boone right now? God, why isn't there someone for DMAC right now? I can think those questions. I can grow impatient. There's a big task ahead. But every single time I get overwhelmed, I get antsy. I'm like, I want to go do something there. God just says, Daniel, be faithful with what's in front of you. Be faithful with that guy that wants to grow, that freshman boy that wants to grow in Jesus. Be faithful with that student. If you can be faithful with him, I'll take care of the rest. And I, believe, I just believe that that's what God has for each of us today, to, to first consider the task. Because you know, sometimes we forget about the task. Consider the task. There are so many unreached people groups around the world that have never seen a Bible. They've never heard the name of Jesus. They are dying and going to hell. Consider that task that they need to be reached. Consider that and allow it to overwhelm you. We need to get overwhelmed at times by this. We can't just be okay with that. We need to get overwhelmed. So consider the task and allow yourself to be overwhelmed a little bit. But then when you get overwhelmed, do what Jesus did. And look into the harvest field and pray for laborers. Say, Jesus, raise up more laborers. Send them out into the harvest field. And after praying, after considering the size of the task, after praying, be faithful. Be faithful with of what God has called you to do. And the way you, the way you can do this is by loving your neighbor and meeting their needs, having compassion, not growing hard-hearted, keeping a tender heart and loving people, and then being faithful with the few that God has placed in your life and make uh, disciples out of them. All right, so if you would just bow your heads and, and close your eyes, I want to pray for us. And we hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.